Civic Radio. This episode is an interview with New York civil servant Dave Seliger. At the end of the day, government is made up by people. When we start to think of government as people, we can start to think of these conversations that need to take place as people. Dave is behind the Civic Service, which trains and connects civil servants and encourages them to use design to improve government services. We've been bringing public servants together on a regular basis uh, to meet with heads of innovation from around the world, to meet with community members, to meet with community activists and the civic tech community and understand the role of tech, design, and innovation in government. What does it mean to be a citizen? You know, what are, is it, again, is it something you're born into? Is it something that you can um, sign up to be? Is it something that you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Or is it something that um, you do every day? What does that really look like? Is it uh, a form of technology that we can get people to think about their role in uh, civic community? Is it a, uh, you know, a nonprofit? Is it a volunteer opportunity? Is it a way to be a public servant of some kind? You know, e even for myself as a civil servant working for the city of New York, um, I don't necessarily consider myself that kind of extreme use case. You know, I didn't think a lot about public service before I started working for the government. I didn't join government because of my interest in public service, although now I'm much more interested in that. I actually, I moved down to New York City to do disaster response uh, on a fellowship from my, from my college. Uh, and literally two months after I moved down, Hurricane Sandy hit. And Hurricane Sandy was the biggest disaster that hit the East Coast in you know, recent decades. And, and through that, I really got exposed to kind of the moving pieces of government, how agencies work together, how different civil servants work with you know, uh, folks at the federal level or at the, at the you know, county level or the state level. But at the same time, someone coming from a very intense engineering degree you know, with bits of design, I was kind of looking for something much more faster paced. Um, so outside Hurricane Sandy, kind of the day-to-day -day of being a civil servant really wasn't that stimulating. Uh, and under the Bloomberg administration, when, when Mayor Bloomberg uh, was mayor, there's a lot of talk about innovation in government, you know, changing the way that government works. But for someone who is pretty far down the food chain, keeping in mind that there's about 300,000 civil servants in New York City, there weren't a lot of opportunities for me to take part in these conversations. Um, so why don't we get civil servants together on a regular basis, not just the mayor and the people in City Hall, but everyone else who are these public servants to talk about these concepts about improving government. So from there, um, I ended up partnering with Parsons and New School for Design at the DASIS lab um, with a guy named Eduardo Stazowski and another guy named uh, Elliot Montgomery, who were already investigating the use of design and innovation in government. So through them, we formed this thing called Civic Service. And actually, just recently, we started doing a few grant-funded pro uh, programs. Uh, we did one on the future of workforce development services this past fall. And now we're getting our hands dirty exploring uh, financial empowerment and uh, tax preparation services for low-income New Yorkers. So we've kind of moved from something very grassroots, where is this crazy idea that many people told me would never work, to uh, a program that's getting recognition from the city where we're partnering directly with city agencies and really pushing this boundary of what does better government look like. So I've spoken to a lot of people who are kind of involved at the sort of activist grassroots level. 
but less people who are involved at the in the the government sites. Do you feel that there's a there's a willingness and an energy from the top to support some of these innovation and change? I think in many cities, especially in the U.S., you see a lot of top-down support. You know, you you have the Bloomberg Challenge, which was first run in the U.S., and then in uh, Europe, which is targeting you know the heads of either heads of state or heads of city halls. Um, but what I think you see a lot less of is the bottom-up, or what we might call the grassroots approach, but inside government. Uh, there's a few examples like the Denver Peak Academy in, in Colorado, where it's a, you know, it's a civil servant-run program just for civil servants to learn the methodology. Uh, but other than that, you don't see a lot of these kind of grassroots or bottom-up examples. You know, of the grassroots communities outside government, um, government has a bit of a hesitation to work with them, either because they're not official, whatever that word means, or it's not in a language that government understands. Um, but I think once you start to reframe these very same ideas in language that government or civil servants can wrap their heads around, then you hit on something interesting. So if we're, if the civic hacker community is talking about open data, how do we frame open data in a way that civil servants can understand in their day to day, not as some big visionary idea. If we're, if you have the designer community talking about design thinking, how do we frame it in a way that, that civil servants can understand? So I think there really is a lot of, you know, uh, a passion for this type of stuff. There's a lot of amazing civil servants inside government who want to change the way they do business, but it's just a matter of changing the language or reframing these ideas in a way that civil servants can get on board. What do you think the what do you think the skills are that civil servants need to be able to understand open data, civic tech, to be able to facilitate this through? Because a problem I see yeah. is there is lots of willingness. People don't have coding backgrounds. We've struggled with these ideas of do you want every civil servant to be a coder? Do you want every civil servant to be a designer? And you know I think the 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 visionary idea is, yes, you want everyone to be a designer, you want everyone to be a coder, but the reality is not everyone is going to have those skill sets, and not everyone is going to be adept at, at learning those skills. But, but I think there is kind of these universal mindsets that you can start to, to build. You know, so whether it's understanding the use of open data, understanding how you might go about doing these things. Maybe it's even to the point where it's understanding how you hire a coder or someone with coding skills. Like, what does the HR process look like? How do we attract people? Um, a lot of what we're dealing with is that all these people who, who have these skills are, are not joining government. You know, why is that? There, we have good benefits, we have decent pay, we have you know, job security, we have honestly the most interesting freaking problems to solve. You know, it's much more interesting than going to work for Google or Facebook, in, in my opinion. But why aren't people with these skill sets coming to government? And I think it's, we do a shit job at recruiting them. So it's, you know, again, how do we change the language of government to recruit these, these skill sets? How do we put it in place, fellowship programs or other types of recruitments? Or, but at the same token, for people who are already inside government, it's getting them as comfortable as possible working with technology people, with civic hackers, with open data advocates and so forth, and finding ways for them to safely engage and have really safe conversations about these topics. Because something like opening up all your data is kind of a scary thing to talk about if you've never done this before, right? You know, it's it's you know it's opening up things that you're used to keeping close from the public or 
um, changing the way that you do business or changing your processes. These are really scary things for an institution like government to try to understand and to really talk about. Um, so, you know, if you, if you invite, it's kind of like a simple example, right? So if you invite a civil servant to come to a, uh, a tech company, that's kind of one conversation you're going to have. But if you find a way to get the civil servants to invite you inside, to invite you into their safe place, that's going to be a much more uh, comfortable conversation for them. It's going to be a much more honest conversation. So creating these spaces to have these, these conversations about open data or tech, getting them to think about these things in a way that is beneficial to government and is beneficial to open data, and then getting them to then hire people into government who already understand these concepts and to have these skill sets. I think that's going to be the, the start of the direction you want to head in. Does that become a prob problem of representation of the interests of the wider community, given that you're engaging with a tech community who are a really small group of the population? Yeah, well, I, I think it's more actually a universal question than just tech, right? Because you could apply the same question to tech, to design, to urban design, to community problems, to social services. You know, how do we get government in a way that, or how do we get government comfortable engaging with these different communities on special topics that are beneficial to everyone? Um, you know, as, as someone who's, you know, tries to be active in the design community, I go to a lot of different design events. And I can't tell you the number of times I've gone to a design event where someone stands up and says, you know, there are all these interesting problems in government. I don't understand why civil servants can't talk our language. I don't understand why they can't work with us. I don't understand why they won't work with us. And, you know, more often than not, I'm a civil servant sitting in this design event being like, I'll talk to you. I just, I might not be able to have an official conversation that's approved by my boss and my boss's boss's boss. But... I can talk to you as another resident of the, of the city and try to find a way to move forward. So again, you know, when we talk about government, if we talk about government in New York City, we're talking about 300,000 people. We're talking about this behemoth organization that's been around for a few hundred years. But at the end of the day, government is made up by people. You know, it's not this alien organization. It's not this evil institution. Government is people like you or me. And then on the flip side, government sees, you know, tend to see the community as this big, massive blob. You know, government doesn't always see uh, community or the public as individuals. So I, you know, I think the key word here and something that, again, we're trying to explore is this concept of empathy. How can civil servants or government as a collective have empathy for the community? And then vice versa, how can the community or individual citizens have empathy for civil servants or the government? You know, how do we create shared understanding of these problems. So if you go back to open data or tech, for the example, um, how do you get civil servants to understand the point of view of a, of a tech person or, or a hacker? How do you get a hacker to understand what it's like to be a civil servant or to work inside government? Um, it's really, you know, how do we get people to put on the shoes of the other person and create these shared understandings? That's kind of the, the missing piece for us, right? Because uh, all these different communities advocating for for tech or for design or for open data, but you don't necessarily have them advocating for better ways to talk to government as people. Um, it always paints the picture again of government as this kind of faceless box of of some institution or some organization of, of bureaucracy or whatever. It doesn't 
always recognize government as your neighbor, as your, you know, as the guy down the street, as, um, you know, as your father of your mother or, or what have you. Government is people, citizens are people, community are people. How do we find ways for people to talk to people? I was wondering, could you give us a definition of your idea of what design is and the, the, the kind of design work you're involved in? I think there's, there's big D design and then there's little d design. You know, big D design is, you know, architects, it's urban design, it's uh, service design, it's product design. It's, you know, what Parsons, you know, our partners, Parsons and New School for Design, what they teach, what they preach. It's, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a career, it's a way of looking at the world from a creative point of view. It's, you know, using creative skill sets, different methodologies to attack big problems, whether, or, or small problems, whether it's the design of a, of a fork and knife, whether it's the design of a building, whether it's the design of a society. Uh, and then I think little d design, which is what the business world is really talking about, is, you know, kind of a smaller subset of that is the creative problem solving point of view. So, you know, we, you, you can look at problem solving from a quantitative point of view, collecting data. You can look at it from an analytical point of view, um, but you can also look at it from a creative point of view. So uh, if you were trying to solve a, a problem like a, how to design a fork and knife, maybe it would be, trying to understand how people use forks and knives, how they eat their food. If you're trying to design a building um, and you're looking at it from a problem-solving point of view, it's how do people use this building? How do people live in this building? How do people work in this building? So it's it's a set of tools and methodologies, or it's really a, a mindset to not necessarily collecting data on, on these problems, but collecting uh, opinions, uh, collecting emotions, collecting... Uh, points of view or perspectives towards solving different types of problems. A lot of people talk about collecting data and a lot of people talk about experimenting with new ways to encourage people to participate or to design interaction in, in various different ways. But I'm in, so and this all seems like quite new and like it's at a, at a kind of point that started maybe 10 years ago or something. So I'm interested in like people have obviously interacted with each other for thousands of years as long as there's been people. So I'm interested in what kind of inspiration you take from not not just these sort of academic processes of measuring and like design in the way that you talked about, but in terms of learning from from the past and from history and whether that's something that you consider. So I think there's two questions there. So the first on the data piece, um, yeah. Big data, data collection, data science, all these things are kind of these hot topics. Um, and I think government, at least in New York City, has done a pretty good job at trying to collect data. Um, you know, whether it was hurricane, during Hurricane Sandy when we were tracking data on how many water bottles we gave out, how many people we served in our hurricane shelters, how many homes were destroyed. Um, but I think the flip side that we're trying to come to terms with, not just in government, but in the design world in general, is how do we collect the more experiential data or the more kind of uh, creative or personal data? Um, so not just how many water bottles did we give out, but were people's lives improved by these water bottles and how were their lives improved? Uh, not just how many homes were destroyed, but what happened to the people who lived in these homes? Did they rebuild? What were their rebuilding processes like? What did that look like? I think it's something that the emerging kind of service design industry has struggled with is 
how do we quantify these very qualitative data points? Um, do we take surveys? Do we ask people to rate their happiness on a scale from one to five? Do we ask people to draw smiley faces and somehow we graph smiley faces? I don't think there's a really good answer um, towards collecting this qualitative data or to trying to understand qualitative data on a math scale. Um, there's also kind of this uh, emerging movement around storytelling, especially in the marketing fields of, you know, people don't just want advertisements anymore. They want to understand the stories. They want to understand how a product was made. They want to understand how people use this product, how it improves their lives. So I think on the same scale in government, we want to understand how do people use these public services? How do they make their lives better or worse? Uh, what are their experiences like when they go into a, a public service center or they sit in a waiting room? Because um, if we're only collecting data on, oh, we served a thousand people in this waiting room today, that's really losing out on what was their experience like of signing up for their appointment? What was their appointment like? What was their experience of waiting for their appointment? Was the person rude to them? Was you know the, the customer service representative helpful? I think those are the ways where we can really start to tweak government and make public service services better is by understanding these experiential you know, data points. So again, if we're only dealing with, with uh, quantitative data, we're going to lose out on things that really need to change in public services. And I think for your, for your second question, you know, I think we kind of took a detour into technology. And I think the, the biggest thing that we miss out on when we only think about technology is that at the end of the day, technology is about people. Technology is about you know helping people achieve their dreams. Technology is about connecting one person to the next. Technology is about communication. It's about uh, the world we live in. It's about improving outcomes. It's about healthcare. It's about all these different things. And I think what we're starting to get back to now is this idea that the world is going to get better. Public services are going to get better. Government will get better when we start considering what we do in terms of, of people. Um, and in terms of where we've come from over the last 10 years, 100 years, millennia, what, what have you, um, people haven't changed. You know, we're, still, we're still human beings. We still live on this planet together. We still have different customs. We have different um, communities. We have different traditions and rituals. So I think trying to get back to this idea of not just redesigning for technology, but design technology to be used by human beings to improve other human beings or to improve ourselves. Are there any trends emerging in the civic space, the civic realm that you can that point to? So I, I think the biggest trend that we spend a lot of time thinking about, I know a lot of different governments and, and countries think about, um, is the idea of the innovation lab. This is something that the private sector has really capitalized on, academia is starting to do, um, and government is definitely starting to do, is building a safe place for civil servants, community members, advocates, nonprofit organizations, whatever, to come together and think about these big questions and then try to design solutions around them. But I think the, the trend up until now has been to build an innovation lab inside government, which, mind you, is a huge step in the right direction, but to build these labs inside government, internal to government. Uh, and if there is any civic engagement or engagement with community members, it's to bring them in on an ad hoc basis. What we're starting to think about now, what we're seeing in a few places, is what would a government innovation lab look like embedded in the community? 
where government, you know, civil servants and community members, individuals can interact on a day to day basis where they can interact on a casual basis to support casual citizens you know, and casual citizenship, um, where they can support public participation in the design of public services or policy making. What, what do these safe spaces look like that facilitate, you know, discussions, conversations that facilitate creative problem solving or analytical problem solving? Um, we need to take the innovation labs that are internal to government and find ways to bring them out into the community. So I think only then are we going to touch back on that idea of empathy where civil servants can understand what it means to live like in Brooklyn or Staten Island or you know smaller communities there. And then for these same residents to understand what it means to be a civil servant, uh, what our barriers to success are, what bureaucracy actually looks like and what that means. And then once we have that kind of shared understanding, we can then kind of move forward you know, I don't, I don't want to be cheesy here, but move forward kind of holding hands and then designing public services that meet the needs of both government and the people we're trying to serve. I think that's what the future of government is going to look like, where the public is actively participating inside government and government is really designing for our residents and our citizens. In lots of ways, what you've described there is quite a traditional civic space, like maybe something in some cultures at some times in some parts of the world all of those functions could be fulfilled by a town square or a plaza or a meeting room of some kind. For sure. I mean, I think what big cities and big governments, especially uh, national governments, struggle to deal with is how do you create a town square for a federal government? You know, if you have a country that's 300 million people, where do you put the town square? Is it just in the, in the nation's capital? Uh, even in a city like New York City, where we have 8 million people, um, you know, and five boroughs, where do you put a town square that serves all the residents? Uh, then you start to kind of, you know, take an idea from the tech community and you start to think about hyper-local services or hyper-local data or hyper-local um, pop-up shops or, or whatnot. So how do you create hyper-local town squares um, or places for the community to come together with government and then extrapolate from there? So if you have an idea in Staten Island, in, you know, in Tottenville, you know, one of the furthest communities from, uh, from downtown Manhattan. If you have an idea that's born there, how do you kind of take that and apply it to citywide policy? Or how do you design citywide policy that's responsive to each of these very hyper-local or discrete town squares? You know, we, we spend a lot of time trying to design for 8 million people all at once. But how do we design policies or services that, again, are responsive, that are empathic, or that uh, are really responding to all these different ideas and these different ways of living? So, so yes, I think we do need these very kind of old concepts of town squares, but I think we need a town square that would fit into the context of very big cities or very big nations. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Civic Radio is part of the Civic Shop, which you can find at Somerset House in central London or online at www.civicworkshop.city. You can subscribe to these podcasts by searching for the Tech for Good TV feed on iTunes.